Welcome to Karate Kid Minute, a podcast where we discuss the original 1984 classic, The Karate Kid, one extremely sad minute at a time. I'm Robin. <laughs> I'm Matt. I'm joining us one more time is from uh, Marine Corps Movie Minute is Brian Lockhart. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for showing up. Uh, this is Minute 93 of The Karate Kid. It begins with some light snooping, and it ends with not bow, bow. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) all right we left off on wednesday with daniel reading the telegram that miyagi received 40 years ago he returns it to a box on his bedside table uh in the script actually uh you know we we can kind of get on daniel's case uh, in the movie by saying what's he snooping drew his stuff for that's his stuff leave his stuff alone but in the script they actually made it so when miyagi like uh, slumped onto his bed. He ended up knocking the box onto the floor and it went all over the place. So Daniel finds all, finds the stuff by picking it up. But I guess in the movie, they were just like, eh, just go look at the box. <laughs> I, I kind of like the way it plays out in the movie though. It, it seems like yeah. it'd be a little too convenient if it was knocked over. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's realistic what what they did, you know, with how he kind of discovers it. Cause as you said, he started to put the paper back in a box and then, something catches his eye, you know, and it's yeah. it's naturally curious as what's going on with it. I want to know more about this guy because mm-hmm. he just discovered, you know, pretty, pretty big, you know, secret about him. Uh, yeah. The first thing he finds is a folded up piece of fabric and uh, he opens it up, not all the way, uh, but we do see it. It's a bonsai tree in front of an orange sun. So uh, and then we'll f- hmm. eventually find out more about this, uh, this patch, uh, Jeez. in later minutes, but <laughs> is that like Chekhov's patch or anything? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like, Hmm, interesting. That uh, is going to shoot somebody later. <laughs> it, it better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so under, I just all of a sudden, for some reason, uh, pictured the patch, like stepping out, uh, onto the mat and, Tommy standing there going, like, being, like, upset. Like, I have to fight a patch. (laughs) I don't know. Um, (laughs) uh, Under the patch, uh, he finds a pair of dog tags uh, that he picks up and looks at. And so, of course, I had to look up dog tags. Um, First (laughs) off, why are they called dog tags? Um, I guess there really has never been a solid uh, uh, where it all came from. But, I mean, one of the most common things is that William Randolph Hearst uh, started calling them dog tags in 1936 to kind of undermine FDR um, by the, the fact that, you know, these tags are what maybe dogs would wear. Like, and it would compare like soldiers to animals uh, mm. that, you know, are, are used as, you know, such by, by the government. Um, the, uh, I don't know, uh, Brian, do you, have you heard any other, well, actually, according to the, yeah, according to the wearemighty.com, which is a oh. great website, um, okay. it is a, uh, it came from the Prussian army in like 1870. Oh, wow. Uh, like literally called dog tags or the use of identification tags? Because they, they said in my research, uh, I think it was like the Civil War. No, no, that was the Medal of Honor. Never mind. We'll get to that. Yeah. Well, they said they said actually it wasn't until like 1906 or that they started um, having American troops do dog tags yeah. uh, to identify their bodies. And right. but it, but they were aluminum in 1913. 
Um, but yeah, where, where, where was, so let me get more about that. Yeah, so among the first instances of identification tags being called dog tags comes from the Prussian army in 1870. It comes from the term Hunda, <laughs> Hundemarken, which was similar to what each dog in the then Prussian capital of Berlin required. The American ad- adaption of the name dates to just before World War II. Okay. And yeah, there you go. It mentions Roosevelt and William Randolph Hearst. So right. yeah. Um, that's funny that, you know, you know, you say that, like they say, like William Randolph Hearst was kind of basically saying, well, we're just dogs or whatever, you know, yeah. military guys. I mean, for Marines, that's not wrong because our nickname is Devil Dog. So, oh. <laughs> and that, that was t- taken from a German name, Tufo Hunted. So, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, you mentioned it, uh, but like my next note says, like there were two, you get two dog tags because one uh, stays with the soldier if they die, and then the other one is taken to kind of identify them if you can't take the body with you. Um, so, so when I was in, you know, obviously you have dog tags and there's, there's two, but, um, you know, and they, they, of course they come on the same chain. You typically see people wearing them together, but what they actually had us do for a while is you were supposed to put the second one on your boot huh. in case your dog tags got blown off or, you know, they couldn't identify your, you know, uh, identify you, you had, it was somewhere else, you know, it was, it was in do, two different parts of your body. Like in your boot or like stapled to the bottom of your boot? Like, like you laced it in your, like the way I did it. I think, oh, I, I see. In my, um, in your laces. And then you kind of just tuck it in. So you, I mean, so like I wasn't in combat, so I didn't have to worry about, you know, the reflection of, <laughs> of the dog tag alerting the enemy to my position. <laughs> so I, I just kind of had it there. And, and, but I, I did eventually get like those, um, they have these like rubber, uh, dog tag outline things that you kind of put on. It keeps it from uh, sh- slinking around and, you know, making noise when you're walking. Uh, typically, mm-hmm. you know, we, we wore them together and just kind of had them underneath. But um, yeah, for, for whatever reason there was, and I think when you go into combat, they were, they were telling those guys to put them in their, in their boot. So hmm. I don't know if that's still a practice, but they definitely had us do that for a while. Uh, so my research shows that, you know, the ID, ID tags are kind of, uh, there are a little bit of differences between the different branches in the military. So I kind of focused on, uh, Miyagi's cause he's in the U S army. Uh, so his dog tag would show his last name, his first name his middle initial, uh, his department of defense ID number. Uh, but like in 2015, I guess they replaced that with this, your social security number, uh, the blood type and, uh, religion. And I guess during World War II, your religion could be P for Protestant, C for Catholic, uh, H for Jewish, or which I guess H stood for Hebrew, or just no for no preference at all. (laughs) No. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) And I guess soon enough, they started using X and Y for religions other than Protestant, Catholic, or Jewish. And I guess, uh, and especially during World War II, I I guess some Jewish folks uh, prepared preferred not to have their religion listed in case they got captured. Um, Well, uh, probably also not to mention, even though there was, um, you know, plenty of Jewish guys that were in the service. I mean, there were still there were still racist people (laughs) that didn't, you know, didn't want to serve with them or like, Oh, you know, or whatever, or, you know, like you, I mean, you literally, they still put that type of stuff in, in the movies today, you know, Hmm. nowadays where like, I specifically think of band of brothers where, 
you know, somebody says something about, well, he's a Jew. And then the other guy goes, yeah, well, you got a problem with that. And then all of a sudden now they're fighting because, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a little animosity about the religion. Now, granted, these guys, you know, in that case, these guys later were, you know, they were close or at least Mm -hmm. comrades. But, you know, there was definitely anti-Semitic people that, you know, just like they were probably anti-Japanese, you know, unfortunately, the way it was. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, now I'm thinking back, you know, you mentioned that, like, that might be another reason why, like, something like the 442nd existed, because, you know, you all of a sudden have one Japanese American troop in in your, your, you know, your unit, and you're fighting, like, the Japanese, and you get a little suspicious, you know, Um, uh, if you don't realize that, hello, they're an American citizen. (laughs) Right, right. Well, that's that's, uh, the scene in Captain America, Winter Soldier, uh, not Winter Soldier, uh, the first Avenger. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. I forget his, I forget the guy, the character's name, but he's Japanese American. And and when they break everybody out of prison, he goes, what are we taking everybody with us? He goes, I'm from Fresno, you know, Ace. (laughs) (laughs) And he's got a perfect American accent. He's, you know, (laughs) so it's, it's like, well, right. So, and I, actually, I didn't think about it until we were kind of talking about it just now. Um, well, it makes sense that the, the Japanese, you know, uh, 442nd would have been kind of their own unit because the service was not integrated back then. Right. Yeah. Know? I was going to say, like, the black units were separated, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that was a post World War II before they became integrated. So it makes sense that they would have, I'm not saying it's right, but it just made sense during that time that they would have been their own separate unit. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, moving along, then so then Daniel uh, puts down the dog tags and then he picks up a medal, uh, which he kind of lifts up and looks at uh, slowly and, and he softly says, Valor, <laughs> kind of uh, examines it uh, with a bit of reverence, you know, and, and then gently push, puts it back down in the box. So, of course, I had to look up all sorts of stuff on Medal of Honor, not just a video game. Um it is the highest military <laughs> decoration awarded uh, by the United States. That was a, that was created during the uh, American Civil War. Um, yep. I, I guess there are different types for each branch of the military, but Miyagi's, of course, would be for the U.S. Army. Um, it is a gold five-pointed star surrounded by a green laurel wreath with the word valor above it and an eagle above that. In the middle of the star is the head of the Roman goddess Minerva, uh, who is the goddess of wisdom and strategic warfare. Hmm. Uh, and like you said, uh, the 442nd received all sorts of uh, service crosses, silver stars, uh, but only one uh, Japanese-American actually received the Medal of Honor for World War II and, uh, a- at the time. And he was from the 442nd, and his family was imprisoned in Manzanar. Hmm. Uh you, you mentioned him, uh, uh, Sadio uh, Munamar, Munamar. Um, a private, I guess, during a battle of the, in Italy, the leader of his battalion was injured. Uh, so he kind of took charge and led the attack on an Italian mounted defense until he saw a grenade land by his fellow soldiers. And he, <laughs> speaking of Captain America, he jumps on the jumped on the grenade and smothered the blast with his body and saved uh, his, his fellow troops. And uh so I guess so at the time, the was only Japanese, possible? yeah, the only Japanese American given a Medal of Honor for World War II got it for dying. Mm. Uh, so and then Miyagi stole it. 
Well, that's <laughs> right. I know. It's well, that, like, okay, that, I guess is Miyagi that the other one? I don't know. <laughs> well, most of them are, you know, posthumous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The vast majority of them, actually. <laughs> In 1996, there was a study showing that many Japanese Americans who received awards actually deserved that Medal of Honor. Uh, so in uh, 2000, uh, President Clinton awarded 24 Asian Americans with the medal, and 21 of them were from the 442nd, uh, and you know, making it the most de- decorated regiment-sized unit of World War II. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 pretty impressive, and it's good that they went back and, and looked at that and give them the due because again, a lot of them, um, you know, most of them don't get uh, recognized till till after their death, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it, overdue. It was overdue, but it's good that they got it. Um, so you know, I I kind of I don't have my my notes from my show, but I actually did go through some of the Medal of Honor. Uh, history and stuff as well about you know uh because uh clint eastwood uh his character in my show uh heartbreak ridge was um a medal of honor recipient as well for korea and so we talked about you know stuff like that but um one of the things we found interesting and throughout that movie they called it the cmh congressional medal of honor um but it's not it's actually not the congressional medal of honor it's just the medal of honor um, mm-hmm. but the reason people confuse that sometimes is because every recipient of the medal of honor automatically gets put into the congressional Medal of honor, like Congress or whatever it was called. Like it's a society basically. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not the recipient. Congress, yeah. but a Congress. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. So they are, re- you know, it's like a, like a brotherhood or a club basically of a uh, medal of honor. So, but it's because of that, they call it the congressional medal of honor. But it's not. Oh, and the other the reason is people confuse it because they think Congress actually awards it. And it's not true. It's the president who does that. Um, right. As commander in chief. So it's just interesting. That's cool. Uh, now, in any of the background um, uh, stuff, either the book or, or script or anything, does it ever talk about what Mr. Miyagi did to earn the Medal of Honor? Uh, you know, I have been dinged by many a Karate Kid fan for not remembering material ahead of where we have worked on <laughs> the minutes we've covered. So I will say, not so far. <laughs> there might be something I completely forgot uh, that they uh, they talked more about in the future, but uh, n- not not at this point. <laughs> not that I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't see anything, and I, I actually meant to watch the commentary to see if they mentioned it, but I, I really don't think it really matters. You're just to know, like, not every question needs an answer. Yeah. You just need to know that he, he that dude saw some stuff. He, he's he's a short little old man, mm-hmm. and now he's a karate master and a legit, you know, tough guy. Uh, mm-hmm. As far, I mean, aside from karate, forget the karate. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, so he's he's done some. He's seen some stuff and done some stuff. If I remember correctly, you... the fourth movie opens up with some sort of four forty second like. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was a. Uh, sorry, it was a uh, ceremony, wasn't it? Like where some they sort were of yeah. yeah. Yeah, like a well, something like a honoring them. It was a funeral. Okay. I think I thought it was something honoring them. I didn't think it was a funeral, but I don't know. Maybe it was. We'll get to it. <laughs> there's also bowling but we'll get to it uh, <laughs> um all right so uh just to continue the minute here uh, so daniel 
after looking at the Medal of Honor and putting it back, he looks at Miyagi again, and he's I just yeah. So it's just some real emotion on his face. Um, and Miyagi uh, is now not snoring; he's sleeping peacefully. Um, I noted so. Um, so then Daniel kind of cups the flame of the candle and blows it out. Um, and he starts to walk out of the house and then he turns and right at the last second of this minute, <laughs> he bows to his sensei. We kind of stop the minute mid bow, but we get it. <laughs> um, and I got a few things, uh, from behind the scenes on that. Um, Pat Morita said, uh, I think, I think on the commentary, um, we get a sense of emergence of Daniel into his own manhood. It's like life ain't all about me. Look at this man. Daniel gets suddenly and quietly a sense of his own Miyagiism. Uh, Ralph says it's such a beautiful moment when he turns and bows to the mas- to his master. I would love to take credit for that, but that came from the director. It's one of my favorite moments in the movie, and it's sort of like passing on the baton. And now the kid has to take what he's learned and apply it. Um, so yeah, Avildsen, I guess uh, on after one one take of this uh, scene, he says he said this time stop and bow. And uh, Avildsen says, and he did, and I thought that really put a capper on it. And it wasn't in the script. It, even in the, watching the rehearsals, Daniel's kind of like tucks Miyagi in and just walks out. <laughs> <laughs> no, you need that little, you need that exclamation point, you know, yeah. on this scene. It's perfect. That was a good call. <laughs> that, you know, I wonder if they experimented with like saluting instead, even though <laughs> they, 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 yeah, no, yeah. he's not. He's not in the military. That wouldn't, make, that wouldn't make any sense, yeah. especially <laughs> after teaching and bowing earlier. I wonder, you know, did I, well, bowing is such a big part of uh, karate matches. I'm sure they already had that in there, but yeah, just have another bow here. Um, well, because well, er, earlier when they do the bow and he's like, "Look, I always look, I," you know, stuff like that. And Daniel's yeah. he doesn't do a very good bow. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he's just like, eh, you know. And here he's like, this is on his own accord. He's showing respect to his, his sensei, his mentor, and his friend. And it's and he does a good bow. Like, I mean, we only see a quick oh, second yeah. of the beginning of it. But it is like a full on. And he never breaks eye contact with him. You know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's good. <laughs> it's wonderful. Uh, and I mentioned at the beginning of the scene, way back at the beginning of last week, uh, that the you know, they were thinking about cutting the scene. Uh, I guess the studio was thinking, oh, you know, it's this, it's a long scene. It's kind of sad. Um, the, our producer, RJ Lewis said, after that scene, you had the entire crew in tears. It got applause. And, uh, Robert Markham and the writer said they wanted to cut the scene. I refused. Uh, Ralph Macho says, once they showed it to a full audience, everyone shut up. Could you imagine not having that scene? The whole tournament, you're rooting for Daniel because you're rooting for Miyagi. The baton is passed. And he says, that's great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, it was also mentioned that Pat Morita was, he said, that th- they said that he was paid basically nothing for this role. Uh, they said he maybe made like $30,000 to play Mr. Miyagi this in this movie. Wow. Imagine. <laughs> That's crazy. I hope he commanded a bigger salary in the next movies. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but this is 1984 money, so that's like a million dollars right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that the studio would want to cut this scene, but mm-hmm. I can't believe anybody would want to cut this scene. It's so good. 
you know, and it's, I don't know, maybe they're like for a family film, you know, we, we spent like now two weeks with it. It is, it's pretty heavy. It's heavy stuff. Uh, and maybe they were like, ah, it's too much, you know, but oh, gosh, it just adds so much to this movie, to the character, uh, to their relationship. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 sorry, I, I don't mean to cut you off. I, I was just saying like my, uh, my daughter's 10 and she just watched this yesterday with me Mm -hmm. and like none of this bothered her at all. You know, like as far as, uh, she didn't was like, Oh, this is boring. You know, like she was, she was invested, you know, now I know she doesn't know. I don't, I know she didn't realize what Mr. Miyagi was talking about. I did have to explain a little bit to her. Um, but she, I mean, she wasn't, she, I mean, she was so invested with Mr. Miyagi by that point <laughs> that, you know, they're, they're like, it's, it doesn't matter. Like this is, this is a good moment between them. This is what makes it a fan, uh, like a, fi- a film for the whole family, because mm-hmm. you can have these adult moments for an old, like somebody Daniel's age or our age, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's, and it, and it's what, I mean, yeah, minute by minute, it's two weeks of your life. <laughs> and and it, and, it, and it can drag on, you know, when you're talking about one scene for a while. But in when you're watching the film, it 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 goes pretty quick. It's not that bad, you know. Right. And honestly, you know, we we had a long scene um, towards like after uh, uh, the Halloween dance and that long scene between Miyagi and uh, Daniel, and you know that that goes on for quite a while. But I don't know. It's just their interplay they're they're honest uh, uh i don't know they just they just seem so like real life and honest and i can just read into so much by their you know different expressions they make and the, what they're discussing and i don't know i mean this yeah. this is just I, I i can't imagine the movie without it <laughs> oh I, I totally agree and also i like the fact that you get mr miyagi's uh military backstory considering that crease has a military yeah. backstory. Right. And Kreese is a scumbag and Mr. Yagi yeah. is a nice guy. <laughs> you know, Kreese yeah. wants to inflict as much pain as possible. Mr. Miyagi wants to do everything possible to avoid inflicting pain on anybody, you know, and it's just, it, it's another, it's another, um, two sides of the same coin or, you yeah. know, uh, you know, it, 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 they contrast each other better by having this backstory of Mr. Miyagi in there, I think. Yeah, I was just thinking about Crease in that photo that he has proudly displayed of him just t- standing there smugly with a big gun, you know, and I just can't imagine Miyagi doing the same thing. No, uh, no. <laughs> not at all. Uh, He's Miyagi's more humble uh, than Crease ever would be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mirror universe Miyagi. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> interesting you know and, and and again it's a the this you know it's american uh versus like the japanese american experience so um okay so uh can we wrap it up for this uh this minute here is this yeah we got everything in okay so okay we can i mention one thing one thing oh, i promise please. you why is daniel's son dressed like burt reynolds and dom DeLuise from cannonball run <laughs> he easily could be the yeah. third man in the ambulance there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's, it's for maximum spaghetti spillage, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That that we, that's pretty much what well we what, what we uh, I mean that that's John Avelson even said that like that's why they put him in the white outfit. <laughs> but uh, it, unfortunately, they did cut some uh, 
uh, some moments that they had in the script and in the novelization where Daniel was basically given keys while standing out there waiting for Allie and ended oh. up parking a couple of cars while he waited, <laughs> which would have been great too. <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah. That would have been good if they cut to a scene and, and all the, all the, um, you know, the, the guys that parked the cars are all wearing red jackets like that. Too, you know? <laughs> Just stands there. He looks over. What? Uh, all right, so for our Friday question, we always ask our guests, like, you know, if you wanted to talk about anything spoilery in the future of the movie itself or, like, or any of your favorite sequels at all, um, have you seen Cobra Kai, that kind of thing. <laughs> okay, uh, I got one thing. It's actually yeah. – it's it's from Karate Kid Part 2, mm-hmm. and I don't know why this is, but – so the, so when I saw Karate Kid Part 2 in the theater, the scene where uh, – the whole scene where it's, like, the end of this movie – so it's it's basically could have been the after credit scene if it was done today, like a Marvel movie, yeah. Uh, where you know Kreese put punches his hands through the through the window and Mr. Miyagi, you know, honk, all that good stuff. Yep. When I saw that, I was like, "Why?" I was in the theater watching this, and I'm like, "Deja vu." Oh my god, I've seen this. Now I, I can't remember when that came out, but I was still a young kid, and I'm like, "I have seen this. I have seen this. I know this is like it was." ingrained in me that I knew something about this. And I remember telling my mom and she's like, what, whatever, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and, and for the life of me, I don't think it was in the trailer. I don't re- I don't think they did those HBO first looks back then where it was like, they spoil everything in a movie, you know, for 30 minutes right. and to get you to watch it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, for the, I'm like, where would I have seen this scene? And it's, it's still straight to this day. I'm always like, why did I think I saw that? Like it was the most bizarre thing. And it, I don't know, but maybe, maybe I did stay after the credits and they played it as a post uh, epilogue or something. I don't know. Well, they originally made it for, uh, the end of this movie. Um, uh, that, that was actually the end of the movie, the end of karate kid one, but they decided to end it with the, the crane and the, Miyagi well, nodding his head. But was it credits. shot at the time or did they come back and shoot it for the second movie? And it was just scripted for the first movie. Again, I'm going to I'm going to just take the easy route and be like, we'll find out because <laughs> well, I, I got a question for you, too. And if they shot it, did they ever put it on a TV edit that I might have seen a la Star Trek Two, where there's all these extra scenes that you learn about things? And I'm like, oh, it's, it's driving me nuts. <laughs> but that's I, all. I'm going to say all. hard no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I could have sworn I read somewhere that. I mean, again, the, uh, we I will be researching this stuff when we get to it, but I could have sworn I read somewhere that it was shot, but then they had to reshoot it. Uh, I don't know, uh, but we'll, we'll, maybe I'll find out more when we get to it, but put a pin in that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it is time to blow the candle out and take a bow for the week. We did a great job. We've gotten through this, the heavy stuff. Um, and want to tell everybody to tune in next week, uh, where again, we just, we're now done with the heavy stuff and we finally, we're now we're in like training montage time, like the final training montage of the movie, uh, we start with next week. So I'm very excited to get into that. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Brian. It's been a great week having you as a guest. Oh Uh, yeah. Robbie, Matt, thanks so much for having me on. I I really had a good time. I appreciate it. Thanks. We've been looking forward to this for the better part of a year. Right. <laughs> That's when you first re- reserved a spot. So <clears throat> I'm glad we can make it work. 
Uh, all right. And uh, want to let everybody know uh, where they can find you and, you know, what you do. Yeah, just uh, we do the Marine Corps Movie Minute podcast where we break down movies of the Marine Corps one minute at a time, much like Karate Kid. And, uh, you know, we've only done our first one, which is Heartbreak Ridge, uh, Clint Eastwood classic, as I like to call it. Um, stay tuned for future uh, movies featuring Marines. Uh, yeah, but what other just, ones? Uh, what other ones qualify? I mean, you don't have to say what ones is, is your next one, but nah. what, what other ones do you think about would qualify? Well, there's the obvious one that everybody asks about, which is Full Metal Jacket, and I'm trying to find a way to do that that doesn't make me sit through all the Vietnam parts one minute at a time, um, yeah. because everybody only cares about the first half, and including myself. But um, <laughs> uh, one of the one of the ones that we're batting around is Major Pain, which ah. is you know it, it's a little different route with the Marine Corps, um, but I something got one we're for actually. You. Go uh, ahead. A- aliens. <laughs> yeah. You know what? If they didn't, ar- somebody didn't already do it minute by minute. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, it would have been on the list. Um, but actually one thing that we're thinking about doing in between uh, seasons is um, up next. I think, I think I could say this. Um, we're going to watch generation kill, which was a FX. Um, sh- I think it was one season on FX. And that it's that's an HBO. Uh, yeah. You know what? You're right. It is HBO. It was HBO. And uh, I've never seen it, and my co-host Perry has, and he states that it is, to him, the most realistic, you know, modern military slash Marine Corps show that he's seen. And so I think it'll be fun to, you know, me being the newbie to it. um, I'm vaguely familiar with the book it's based on, but um, it'd be a new experience. So uh, we're going to go by episode by episode, I think, and and then jump back into movie uh, a movie by minute so um but anyways we're at um we're, we're anywhere that podcast can be found uh just mm-hmm. look for the marine corps movie minute podcast forgive cool. my ignorance but uh what's the difference between the marine corps and the navy seals besides is it just that one's in the navy and one's at the u.s army corps well the the Navy, like, so the um, special, I can't even talk right now. So the Navy <laughs> SEALs are a, the special forces, uh, the Navy special forces. Are they basically the Marines of the Navy? Well, technically the Marines is a department of the Navy. So, oh, so. Um, yeah, we're just, we're obviously bigger, we're a branch and, and we're the smallest of the official branches, but the Navy SEALs is, they're just a, like a unit within the Navy. And yes, they do. They do the like counterterrorism and spe- special ops and stuff like that. Uh, uh-huh. Marines are more of like, you know, the army is a very broad, uh, like fighting unit. The Marines are more supposed to be more amphibious, but also uh, more, uh, they're, they're quicker to deploy, easier to move about. They're smaller, you know, Okay. Uh, and they usually do more with less. <laughs> okay. There is a common actor. There's a what? common actor uh, that would be Michael Bean, who was. That's uh, what I was doing. That I was I was looking that up. I was like, oh, <laughs> can I ask them if they're going to review that Michael Bean movie? What was it? Oh, it's Navy SEALs. And yeah, but also, also aliens. Yeah, but so. also, I believe Michael Bean. No, actually, he was in the, he was a Navy SEAL in uh, The Rock too, which had Ed Harris as the Marine. <laughs> oh. That might be on the list if somebody doesn't take it before us. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, uh, uh, the abyss. I believe he's. I believe he's a military guy in that one too. He's a, he's a seal in that one too. Ah, okay. <laughs> Jeez, he, he's he's typecast to either a seal or a marine. 
or uh, <laughs> cowboy. Or cowboy. Yep. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I want to let everybody know uh, next week Michael Bean will not be on the show, or he won't be in the movie either. But we're going to get lots of like uh, Zamfir playing and uh, Miyagi wearing a, a catcher's mitt and that kind of stuff. It's going to be great. Uh, so tune in next week for that. All that. And until next time, Valor. Thank you.